This episode of the MGMA podcast is brought to you by Walmart Business. It's the Walmart you love, now for business. Get everything you need for your staff and patients in one place. Enjoy big savings on health and safety products, cleaning supplies, over-the-counter medications, and much more. And don't forget the break room snacks. Create a free account today and start shopping at business.walmart.com. That's business.walmart.com. From the MGMA in-home studios, welcome to the Insights Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams. And what we found was that the places where we had high social vulnerability, very low economic opportunity, very low health opportunity, um, very poor clinical outcomes from chronic diseases like asthma, COPD, heart disease, diabetes, high blood pressure, were the very same communities that had high risk and high penetration of the COVID-19 vaccine. That's Dr. Nwando Oluwala talking about social determinants and socio-demographic factors that have adversely influenced certain at-risk communities and patient populations. We'll hear more from Dr. O in just a moment, but first, a word from our sponsor. Ring Central brings staff, patients, and payers together with compliant cloud communications in a modern call center on any device. A free new ebook from Ring Central and MGMA focuses specifically on the payer provider relationship. With all too familiar patient reviews, must see statistics, and a transformative case study, this ebook illustrates how easily cloud communications can bring patients, providers, and payers together. Download your copy at go.ringcentral.com slash MGMA dash healthcare. Our guest today is Dr. Nwando Oluwala, Chief Health Equity Officer and Senior Vice President at Humana. Dr. O is here today to discuss how healthcare leaders can develop a shared understanding of health equity and how leaders can gain better insights into the impact of social determinants of health and their impact on at-risk patient populations. Dr. O, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Now, first, give our listeners an idea about your background and how health equity has shaped your perspectives on healthcare. Yeah, well, great, great question. Um, So, I am a family physician and public health trained uh, person. I have had the great fortune of joining Humana as its first uh, chief health equity officer, which is a new role that Humana created, trying to be much more intentional about the work that it does um, focus on health equity um, and building off a lot of really tremendous population health and social determinants of health related work that Humana had been focused on for many years. Um, I stepped into this role um, having come from a role that's largely been on the delivery side of care, previously as the chair of the Department of Family and Community Medicine at Ohio State University, and also um, working in community health center systems for for many years. Um, So yeah, when I think about health equity and what 
why it's important and why it's personal is, you know, I've got some stories from my childhood and my earlier years that have shaped my, some of my thinking around the way we care for patients and the opportunities that we have to give everybody the opportunity for their best health. Um, and I've seen a lot of places where that didn't happen, opportunities where we could have done better as healthcare, you know, providers, um, physicians, systems. So that's really how it has become more personal for me. Yeah, well, thanks for sharing that with us. And let's just back up then. It's a health equity is a, a term that you and I have both used already. So let's just go back to the beginning here and define that. What does that term mean? What does it mean to you? Yeah, no, great to, great to define it because I do think that um, it's being used so much. Uh, and, you know, for, for people like me that have been in, in the world of dealing with health inequities and working on health disparities for so long and people like you, it, it just, uh, we, we assume a lot of people get what we're saying. So to be really clear, uh, what, what I think of when I am talking about health equity is that every single person um, in our nation has the ability to have a full life with really good high quality health and health care and reach their full potential without the limitations of health. Um, and to do that, though, it requires a lot of intentionality around addressing, well, what are the things that could stand in their way of having that full opportunity for health? And those are things like oppressive structures and structural racism and discrimination and poverty and uh, lower socioeconomic status and those kind of things that render people more vulnerable and less likely to have full health. So health equity is then removing those obstacles and barriers to full health so that people can achieve it. I know if it were easy, it would already be done, but how do we do that? Are we, are we making strides in U.S. healthcare, and how do we continue to grow to kind of achieve that health equity that we're all looking for? Yeah. Well, I think it starts with us really, one, understanding that we do have inequities and where those inequities have come from. You know, with the COVID-19 pandemic, we saw pretty staggering and disappointing outcomes early on in the pandemic. Um, we're still kind of seeing them seeing them today, where we saw Black and brown communities, so Black and, and Hispanic Latinx communities, disproportionately affected by the virus and who was mm -hmm. getting it, um, who was getting very sick from it, who was being hospitalized because of it, who was dying because of it. And while that was not necessarily a surprise to many folks who've been in this in the health disparity space for a long time, um, it still really did surprise a lot of people in the country because people did not realize that there were so many of these pre-existing um, conditions, these precursors, these underlying factors that made so many of these communities very vulnerable to a pandemic. We, if you've not been in a pandemic before, you might not have realized this would happen. But when, when you kind of put a pandemic on top of what have been some very historically disadvantaged uh, uh, populations and environments, then you, you get what, what we saw and what we're seeing. And so the thing, why I think this is important, it's really important to align on this, is we, we've got to get people to really understand why is this important to me. So, mm -hmm. I, you know, you, you hear people say, well, I don't live in a community that has been made vulnerable. I don't, I don't live in a place where people have been um, rendered disadvantaged. I don't, I don't, so why does this impact me? So if you think, I think a, a virus like the COVID-19 
um, coronavirus is a great illustration of why this matters to all of us. So if you think about uh, certain risks that people have to poor health and lower life expectancy, maybe based on geography, zip code, um, and we know that you know, there's very, very good data that where you live um, is a very good determinant of what your life expectancy might be. And if you could, if you say, if you if you talk about maybe I'm at risk of dying from um, asthma, poorly controlled asthma, because of where I live, and you say, well, I don't live there, so I'm not likely to have a problem with dying from asthma. That could be true if you're thinking about something like asthma that's not contagious, it doesn't spread between people. Um, there are a lot of environmental factors that you could actually remove environmental triggers and do much better. But when you have something like a, a virus. Um, that moves around, is so easily spread, is mutating, and is doing different things. You can't really say, well, I don't live in that neighborhood over there, so I, I, won't, I won't have it. We, we are increasingly globalized. Um, people are moving in between cities. You might live in a particular city, but you work in another one. Um, you might uh, spend most of your work time in the place, but your kids um, are in another place where they go to school. I mean, there are so many ways that we are connected. You can go to a grocery store um, in a neighborhood and someone that, um, you know, is maybe lives someone else's shopping in that same grocery store or shopping in that same mall. So there, there's no way to really actually say that you, you have immunity from something based on your geography anymore. And that is why this has made us think about why this is important and why it's everybody's problem. So that's, that's the first thing I would say is just generally accepting and understanding that we are a global community, the, the impact of something on one of your neighbors. Um, whether that's your next door neighbor or your, you know, few, you know, zip codes away neighbor, um, definitely has an impact on your life and your day to day. Mm -hmm. The second thing is being willing and open to address some of these structural factors that have made some of these inequities thrive and allow them to, to persist. And that's the tougher one, I got to say, because people aren't necessarily comfortable talking about racism and, and, and gender discrimination and, you know, oppression of people with, with varying sexual identities or um, gender identities. We're not necessarily as comfortable talking about those things, and so, but some of those things do really reinforce inequity, so we've got to be able to do that as well. Mm -hmm. When we think about what you were talking about, what, what we have learned from this, this, even as we've been isolated in this past year or so, We've seen this interdependence, this uh, interconnectedness among all people, because yeah, the, <laughs> this virus is indiscriminate, even though it has, it has um, had a greater impact on people with comorbidities and people of certain uh, races here uh, in America in particular, we'll just leave it there with, as you were saying, black and brown communities. When you look at those communities, what are the determining factors? Is it a poverty level? Is it um, comorbidities that they already have? Are they environmental factors? When you're studying it, what are you looking at and what are you trying to address so we can have better health outcomes for those communities? Yeah. Well, uh, when I was um, at Ohio State, I um, was part of leading a, a massive um, campaign to get masks and sanitizer and some of these essential items distributed to communities across central Ohio. And when we were thinking about how to do that uh, and where to do that, where to focus attention, we started looking at things, different indices that can kind of tell you where you might have problems. And, and I'll, I'll tell you that 
the, the CDC has this social vulnerability index, which lets you know like which communities um, have high levels of vulnerability based on a number of different social and economic factors. Um, there are health opportunity and also opportunity indices that look at communities and can tell you at a macro level using geospatial imaging software and technology. On a macro level, what are the zip codes, where are the um, communities, the, the locations where you would have very low economic opportunity um, and very poor health outcomes for a number of different chronic diseases. And what we found was that the places where we had high social vulnerability, very low economic opportunity, very low health opportunity, um, very poor clinical outcomes from chronic diseases like asthma, COPD, heart disease, diabetes, high blood pressure, were the very same communities that had high risk and high penetration of the COVID-19 vaccine. And, you know, taking it a step further, many of those communities were communities that had been historically redlined. So when um, communities were, were, when, you know, in the earlier part of the 1900s, when uh, there was this historic redlining that decided which communities would, would be invested in, where people could get mortgages to grow, um, build families, and kind of achieve economic um, mobility. Um, communities that were historically not allowed and, and what they call redlines out of those particular opportunities and those arrangements are very similar to the ones, and, and in fact, in many cases, the exact same ones where you see this high level of social vulnerability. So, you you can you've got to you've got to think about that too. Why why are these particular zip codes, these particular regions, these particular populations at such high risk? And what can you do, right? And so if you if you think about well, what do you what do you actually do about that, right? We, you know, um, there's so there's no one answer, honestly. There's no one answer. And so some of what um, you have to do is you know these are places where there's also limited primary care access and. Uh, maybe not as high quality of a hospital in the, in the areas where a lot of these, these same um, um, communities live. And so a way to think about how to respond is something, so one of the things that um, we've done at Humana, so our, you know, Humana's uh, hometown is in Louisville, Kentucky, um, and there are pretty significant and well-known and well-documented disparities in health outcomes between people that live on the West End, which is a lower income, largely um, predominantly community of color, um, historically redlined area in, in Louisville, Kentucky that has very high social vulnerability. And then you see just a few miles away, very drastic differences in life expectancy with people being able to live longer, live healthier, have better access to schools, to healthcare, to primary care. Um, and so these were the communities on the West End were not ones that were having a, luck getting the vaccines, you know, having issues getting to appointments if they were going to get them, not really a lot of opportunity to have the vaccine in the community so they don't have to drive out or take buses out to figure out where to go get those. And so when you know that you've got that, that vulnerability, then what do you do? And what, what we did is take the vaccines to that community. You know, rather than trying to make it an access issue, well, they, we don't have good primary care um, networks where we can get that done easily, or maybe some of the pharmacies are not, there's a lot of, lot of community pharmacies that maybe don't get the, the vaccines in bulk. Why don't we get the vaccine and take them to those communities? And so those are some of the kind of things I think you can be responsive to once you really understand some of those social and structural factors that are underneath. Mm -hmm. When we talk about, you know, helping communities, um, you know, it's going to take a lot of different aspects of U.S. life, whether it's government, whether it's individuals, whether it's 
associations. Um, yeah. Let's talk about Humana's role for a minute. I know you've been there for a short time, but what are some positive things that health plans like Humana can be doing in the communities that they serve to help get, you know, raise that level of health care, have better outcomes? Yeah. No, that's a great, really great question. You know, I would say one of the things that really attracted me to the, the role was when I heard Bruce Broussard, our, uh, our Humana CEO, um, tell me during the, you know, the course of my conversations prior to joining that we were making a really fundamental shift from being an insurance company to a health and wellness company that has elements of insurance. And, and thinking of it that way has, really has allowed Humana to, to be focused on what is our responsibility beyond just being a plan. And some of the things that have emerged out of um, the, the obvious, you know, drastic um, and, and staggering statistics and, and data that we saw, things that were emerging during this unprecedented time was, okay, we're, we, we, like what I just shared, you know, if we're having people that are having a difficulty getting the vaccination, however, they are at the highest risk of acquiring the, the virus and getting sick from the virus and dying from the virus, let's take vaccines to those communities and doing outreach, not just in the West End, but in other parts of the, place, the, the, the country where we have those challenges, being very, very upfront and intentional about bringing whatever is missing to the, to the communities that need them. Then also using telehealth, um, really thinking about how do we expand our ability to provide care to people in a different way and being very um, flexible and nimble at a time when telehealth became, you know, literally the, almost the only way you could connect with patients and certain, particularly in the primary care setting, um, being able to do that. Finding how you um, partner with people. So maybe it's not every single problem cannot be resolved by Humana, but through partnerships and through um, thinking of who are the community leaders and the, the organizations that are actually um, embedded in the communities that they have, they have trust, they have access, they've got really good ideas, they might need some support or they might need some of our, 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 our resources or, or expertise. Um, our, the Humana Foundation, which is our philanthropic um, arm, uh, did, you know, started this program um, in, in partnership with a, an existing uh, non-for-profit called OATS, which stands for um, Older Adult Technology Services. And the goal was to try to get, during the pandemic, when we realized that there were millions of seniors in our communities across the country that actually did not have access to reliable internet connection or did not have the, the, um, the skills or the expertise to use it effectively for what was now being required, which is things like telehealth. Well, through, you know, kind of investing and focusing on the work of, of, of those folks, because we knew that those seniors who were, um, you know, disenfranchised from what was required for um, technology access and broadband and, and stable internet connection were going to also need healthcare and they were going to need telehealth. So how do we make sure that we, we, we get them plugged in um, so, you know, doing work like making sure that we provided technology support services, helping people get connected, um, working to expand broadband access and teaching people how to utilize digital tools to access healthcare, but also remain connected in a period where people became very isolated um, and, you know, the risk of social isolation was very, very high. So that's another example of how we're, we're partnering um, to do those kind of things. And then also recognizing that many people had challenges with accessing food during the pandemic because they're losing their jobs. They're not able to go out 
as freely to um, get groceries as before. Some places, as we saw, like in the Bronx, um, in New York, really, there were so many places that were shut down where people could get food and people were having to go miles and miles and miles and multiple buses and trains. So thinking about like food access and food security. So, you know, donating, making sure people had things like meals, like, you know, we're, we're donating meals. Um, we're making meals available to the members of, of the um, Humana uh, Enterprise and um, through the foundation also making sure that we're addressing things like food insecurity where people don't have, um, you know, consistency or, or um, stability in the food that they get. So those, those kind of things I think we're all have emerged from the pandemic as really meaningful contributions to the societies and the populations where we work and 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 um, and live and where our, our members live and where our, um, our 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 workers and employees live. And then obviously probably the biggest one is creating a position like mine um, <laughs> to make sure that we had a really a strategic focus on on health equity and better understanding the data that we have and how we can you know uh, create a strategy around improving um, health inequities more holistically. Mm -hmm. Are you looking at some particular metrics? Are there some that are top of mind to you so you can help uh, improve this issue that's ongoing? Yeah, great, great question. I think with, um, so I would say for, and I, you know, think about the, the medical practices that are trying to figure out how do we, what do we do? Where do we even start, right? And, you know, mm -hmm. what, what, what kind of things should we be asking and knowing? And so I would say, you know, one thing that would be really important is starting to just even look at community level data. And this is, this is, these are things that are pretty publicly available. Um, you can look at, you know, I was describing kind of social vulnerability index by the CDC and the um, opportunity index, which is by the Kirwan Institute. You can go to those, um, those websites and those resources and start to, you know, in, input your, um, you know, the, maybe the common zip codes where your practice members come from or where the communities that you're based in or, or, or located in try to see what, what is the level of vulnerability or challenge that we have. I think that's a, that's a really good first step to start to think about who, um, who should we be talking to, to, to to provide resources or support to the community that we take care of. So understanding just like the community level data where your practice is based and where your, where your folks come from is huge. And then I would say thinking like, what do you, what do you start to track? And so one thing that, um, is is hugely important and and, and it, it, it must be said and not assumed is that people should be looking at their their um, data on their patient populations and their practices um, what they call real, real and soji data you know race ethnicity and language data so the real and then the soji sexual orientation gender identity trying to actually look at you know you've got a, a group of patients with hypertension um, and who's who has good hypertension control and who does not you have people with diabetes who is, you know, had their retinal exams, who has an A1C that is, that is um, well controlled. Um, and not just knowing that at, you know, at a whole population level, but breaking that down and, and, and segmenting that data into racial and ethnic groups, um, into maybe language groups or, or gender identity groups, so that you can be really intentional about what you do. So I would say another thing is so understanding community level data, then really understanding um, you know, chronic disease, vaccination, prevention, wellness data um, for your whole population, but breaking that down into subpopulations so that you can really understand if you do have existing disparities. And that mm -hmm. would help drive your work. Because once you know that, if you say, okay, we see that, you know, 70% of our patients with um, high blood pressure are well controlled, but then we, we dig into that a little bit more 
and that's really more like 90% of our, our white patients and 40% of our black or Latinx patients, then you, you know, okay, we, we, you know, we can't look at just the number by itself. We've got to look at this and we can start to target and think about what programs, interventions, team level support could we implement to be able to address that, that those gaps. So that's, that's another thing that I would, I would say would be really important. Okay. That process level data, but disaggregated in a way that you can use it. Right. Um, as a final question then, what is a main takeaway you'd like our listeners to know about health equity and, and how they can make a difference in their medical practice? Yeah, I, I think that everyone who, um, everyone plays a role here. So there's no, this is not the work of one health system or one practice or one payer. This is the work of everybody. And I would say that if people can start by just asking, what is our role here? We're a small practice in a rural community. Uh, we 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 we've been here for many years, um, or we're you know we're we're a bigger practice in an urban community, and you know we're relatively new. I think if everyone could just ask themselves, what is my role? What is my responsibility? Um, what is my practice, my systems role, my organization's role in addressing health equity? Is there a, is there a space for us? And I would argue that the answer would be yes. Um, it could be in any one of those environments, you know, urban, rural, suburban system, um, that you would you could find something that you could be doing. And so I would say, if it if if it looks too daunting <laughs> to figure out mm-hmm. where to start, just believe that there is an opportunity. And it may not be that you, as a as a practice leader or as an organization, are going to tackle all the problems, but you can definitely tackle some. And so start to think about where do we, where is our space? You know, where is our space? But there is one. Um, and if we can fundamentally believe that we all have a role to play, I, I believe that we'll be much more successful in figuring out how, how we can play it. And if, it's, if, if your role is just making connections, I don't have the resources necessarily to feed all the families that we find out through our analysis are struggling with food security, but I know organizations in the area where my, where my patients come from or partners that we can work with to, to help do that. If it's just even just making the connections and facilitating those connections, that's still a lot. So that's what I would say. Just kind of figure out where, what is your angle? What is your, your lens? Um, what are your, what's your expertise and your capability um, and trying to act on it? All right. Well, Dr. O, that is wonderful advice. Thanks so much for sharing these insights with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Insights. Thanks to our guest, Dr. Nawando Olawala. And thanks to Ring Central for sponsoring this week's show. Ring Central is offering a free new ebook focusing on the payer provider relationship. Download your copy at go.ringcentral.com. If you like the show, please rate and review it wherever you get your podcast. If you have topics you'd like us to cover or experts you'd like us to interview, email us at podcast at mgma.com or you can find me on Twitter at MGMA Daniel. MGMA Insights is presented by Declan McGee, Rob Ketchum, and I'm Daniel Williams. Stay safe and thanks for listening. Hi, this is Declan McGee, one of the producers for the MGMA Insights podcast. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming an MGMA member. Learn more at mgma.com slash membership. Thanks. The popular buzzword we've been seeing everywhere is AI. 
But what we all want to know is how we can implement and use it to our advantage when it comes to improving margins, accelerating cash flow, and optimizing staff performance, there's a one-stop shop using cloud-based predictive analytics. MGMA Analytics is your AI-enabled tool that upscales technology you've already been paying for, so you can silo your disparate systems and make data-backed business decisions. Visit mgma.com analytics and see how AI can revolutionize your finances and operations. Again, visit mgma.com slash analytics today.